Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of our Little Alarms series, only available on Patreon. Yeah. I believe this. I really do believe okay. we're all doing our best. Sure. Um, I can think of a few people who I think should try a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> now that I said that out loud. But in general. You really want to get into it. <laughs> you might start to rethink that. Be careful, yeah. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now, on to our episode. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Kevin Matson. Kevin is a professor of history at Ohio University and author of we're not here to entertain. Punk rock, Ronald Reagan, and the real culture war of 1980s America. Let's hear what he has to say about video killing the radio star. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be with you, Rebecca. So I was hoping we could start off by having you give us some background on the radio industry around this, you know, time period how was music consumed by audiences up until the 80s? 
<laughs> That's a pretty broad, broad question. Um, I think probably in the context of if we're going to eventually get to the issue about MTV, I would say yeah. during the 70s, you see um, the kind of growth and centralization of the record industry. And uh, these are corporate run uh, entities. Probably the biggest would be Warner Brothers, uh, who are kind of conglomerates at the same time that they're corporations. And so um, I think you see the kind of what some people would call the corporatization of rock, uh, and that includes record distribution as growing in, in size uh, throughout the decade of the 70s. Um, I think that in the 1980s, you get added on in 1981, you get MTV, um, which adds a new kind of flavor to the marketing of of, of new music. Um, that's important to understand as, as something of a break about what what was included in being marketed during the 70s, which I still think is the, the period of time in which you see this kind of centralization. I mean, uh, I, I won't go into, you know, stuff before the 70s, really, because I I don't want to get it into like, you know, jazz and the origins of rock and roll and stuff like that, because I don't think that it, that that's going to get us to the period of time that, as I understand it, you wanted mostly to talk about, which was the which was the 80s. We are. We're talking all about the 80s today. Oh, OK. Uh, <laughs> um, ha, I'd love for you to tell us more about MTV and how it got its start. What uh, what were the founders trying to do and and uh how did they achieve it, you know, from the get-go? Well, obviously, video moves central to uh, the marketing of rock and roll. And MTV, which gets its start in 1981, really basically started to emphasize the necessity of having a visual cue um, to uh, the act of listening to music. So um, there was the desire to, um, some people state this in a kind of paranoid way, and it, it, it's not necessarily that's not necessarily accurate, but um, some people will say that, you know, th that MTV wants to fill in people's imagination. There's a wonderful song by the Dead Kennedys in 1985 called MTV Get Off the Air. And what the argument there is that you basically want to have people be exposed, not just to music, that they would maybe listen to on the radio, um, but to actual visual images and screen culture and things like that. Um, and I think that, you know, again, not to sound conspiratorial, what they were doing was making it more expensive to produce your own music and to and to distribute your own music because, you know, you have added on the fact that a band who may not look all that great in person um, suddenly has to kind of pick up its image and and promote its image as much as it's promoting the music that and in doing that i think a lot of people feel like um people at mtv wanted to kind of control every element of of the the process of listening um and that means the introduction of of imagery um and and that in many people's minds to say that 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 we want to we want to have a culture that allows people to process things and think about things in their own way rather than being told every single aspect of what's what they're listening to so that's when the the, the to to say that the visuals are as important as the music itself makes it both more expensive to produce the music but it also in some people's minds kind of kills off creativity of the imagination on the part of the listener or, or in this case the listener slash viewer now Going back to MTV, how, what was their launch like uh, and how were they received by uh, viewers uh, around the first year? 
I don't know much about the details of the actual launch. Um, I, I, I haven't looked into that as much. Um, I mean, obviously the, 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 the first song that, that, um, that they get famous for kind of helping to break. Um, and that's after all what people are looking for, right. Is, is, is for people to go out and buy the album, um, on, on which they, uh, on which the MTV video is, is, uh, based upon and, um, uh, the record at this, at that point in time, or maybe the cassette tape, um, uh, so, so I I don't know as much about the all the origins of of MTV, um, but what I think that they are doing is they're 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 expressing an awareness that corporate rock sales of records has not done terribly well recently, and that they need to find something new and innovative to try to you know do what what they're all about, which is promote. I mean, MTV is an advertisement. I mean, that's it's it's as it's as easy as that. Um, and and so I think sometimes we forget that we think of it oh as a new art form or whatever. It's it's a way that they they wanted to raise revenue. Um, and and in the process of raising revenue, cut a lot of acts out from from the um you know the ability of exposing their own music to a wider audience. And a lot of people point out, you know, MTV in its origins was predominantly white musicians. There were very, very few um, African-Americans or other minorities that were featured on, on MTV. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's probably the best best way to put it. Yeah, and, and before MTV, were there any other shows that were promoting music like MTV? Um, was that, because I, I, I know there were other um, shows like Soul Train and right. uh, I believe it was, we talked about Solid Gold, mm -hmm. but the, it wasn't the same in, yeah, in, in, what, in terms of marketing, right? That's right. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm teaching a class right now about the history of film. And the next film that we're going to discuss is Easy Rider, which comes out in 1969. And if you watch Easy Rider, I mean, I've, I've at least had this experience. It feels like a forecast of MTV because there's a lot of, you know, music, entire songs being played as these guys travel through America um, uh, with with drugs pa packed into their motorcycles and stuff like that. Um, and and so, it, but it's predominant, the music is almost dominant in the in the movie um and so when i watch that i say oh there's there's something to a, something like a forecasting of what we're going to get with mtv um and easy rider is one of those um movies that's about obviously the counterculture of the late 60s and what you're seeing is the kind of co-optation of the counterculture in terms of easy rider as as a movie it cost a, a minimal amount of money to make the movie and it grossed enormous sums of money in the end. I don't have the, the figures directly in front of me. Um, but I mean, I think that, that, that to, to a certain extent, I think there are glimmerings of, of, of things before MTV actually becomes what MTV is. And you can, I, I mean, I, I, I've encouraged my students to go and watch, um, uh, Easy Rider with at least some attention paid to like, what are the similarities with MTV here? Um, and again, the, 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 the the music that it plays throughout the movie um is 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 obviously being marketed via the movie and via the the storyline that that's told in the, in in the movie were were there bands that you feel would have been more popular during this time but weren't because they didn't take advantage of this shift in music marketing yeah um I, definitely i mean the, i i think the critique of mtv 
that I've mentioned before um, is is a line and, and the rise of MTV starting in 1981. Um, punk rock during the 80s um, embraces a kind of spirit of DIY, do it yourself. Um, that includes not only making the music in your own basement or what have you and not at a fancy studio, but also um, distributing it yourself via the mail sometimes. And this is still a period of time in which we had cassette tapes, which my students like look at cassette tapes and they're like, what is that? Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, there, there, you know, you create, you create and distribute your own music. You do it on your own terms and your own um, expenditure or what have you. Um, you play local clubs. Maybe if you go touring, you would, uh, you know, get into a, a van and, and suffer through traveling across the United States in an old broken up van and, you know, playing in kids, house parties and stuff like that not the typical venues of arena rock and arena rock is 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 something that you start to see arising throughout the 1970s as well um and so i think in in the in the punk movement the idea was make your own culture do it yourself and um when, when mtv arises um most of the kids who are playing in that scene are like we're never going to make it onto MTV. We'd never get there. Um, we'd be rejected immediately because of the way our music sounds, but also at the fact that we want to retain control over the distribution and um, production of, of, of rock music. Wow. So in a way, at least for what I'm hearing right now, is that videos killed the punk rock star, at least. Well, the there's least. that famous song, right? Radio, what was it? Um, radio, radio killed, killed the, the radio. Radi yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's their first. That's their first hit, uh, so to speak, of of MTV. It's their first hit, and the band, uh, the Bugles, they they broke up after uh, two years. Yeah. What do you think is lost by bands that got to skip this hardworking DIY phase and just went straight to success? Yeah, uh, there's a band from New York City um, in the 1980s punk movement called Kraut, and they get a um, they get um, uh, the, the probably the first punk showing on MTV, and the reason why is because at least as far as the records that I can get at to 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 see what's going on here, um, the the reason why is because MTV had to pay nothing for their video. Right. And it's a very it's 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 not like a complex video. It's not like high in production values and stuff like that. But but MTV is, I think, recognizing, hey, if we can, you know, like purchase this for our own use and do it at a at a low price, why not? So there's this openness that starts to, I think, be created throughout the 1980s that this that the underground of punk rock might be the farming ground of corporate radio um, and of corporate wow. recording and corporate performance. Um, and I think that where you see that most explicitly um, is, is uh, in, in the rise of what will eventually become termed alternative music, or um, it's got, you know, more of a kind of new wave feel rather than to the anger of, of punk rock. Um, and you start to see bands that I don't think in, I, I don't, I know that there's videos that that this band makes. Um, the band that I'm thinking about is Husker Du, who signs with Warner Brothers. They were a, they were a grungy, uh, um, predominantly gay uh, group playing in the early '80s, super fast. Like I mean, just like super fast music, commentaries about nuclear war, very kind of political and stuff like that. And then and and constantly throughout the '80s. 
the lead singer of the band, Bob Mould, says, you know, I, we you can't sign with the corporate label. You can't sign because if you sign with the corporate label, you're gonna get you're gonna get railroaded. You're gonna they're gonna tell you how to play the songs. They're gonna be in every step of the way, getting in in your way of recording the way you want to record it. And in 1985, um, lo and behold, Hus Husker Du signs with Warner Brothers. Um, and it's it's remarkable. I read the kind of historical record, you know, when you read these interviews with one band, one after the other, proceeding up the timeline, it's just consistently, we'll, we'll never sell out to a corporate uh, record industry. Um, and then 85, they've done it. And they're one of the first to kind of break some of the elements. I mean, I, I think that there's a, an analogy between what happens to Husker Du in 1985 and what happens to Nirvana in 1991, um, which is this idea that, you know, um, they've, they've, they both signed for, um, both signed with a corporate record label and um, get the type of exposure. In the case of Nirvana, it obviously is very, very successful. In the case of uh, in the case of Husker Du, it's 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 not. They don't do ter they don't do terribly well. But they do. There is a wonderful memoir that that Bob Mould wrote. He, he says that you know we went into the into the studio and there's this person, the producer, and she's saying do this and do that. No, get rid of the drum beat like this and it starts exerting control over the product, which is exactly what made Bob Mould so, you know, fearful in, in, in the origins of this stuff. Wow. Now I, I'm hearing that there's, it's possible there was like a play to a, a pay to play element here for MTV. Yep. They needed content. And if you could produce it, you could get music up on the air. Were, were they curating things in any way? You mean were they rejecting certain yeah. things? Yeah, Kraut would be, I guess, the example of of where you see a band intentionally trying to create a, their own video that they think will become marketable on MTV. Um, so, but as far as like rejections, again, I think there's predominantly a rejection of the roots of black music that they they they're not interested in terms of they're thinking about themselves as curators. But besides that, I think it would be kind of risque type of things that like they, they seem to kind of like kind of a, like, for instance, the band Duran Duran has the, mm. has the video of where there's all these women with bikinis, like flopping around in kitties place, play toys, um, you know, kind of this sort of like almost, almost like softcore porn of some sort of kind. I think there's a big interest in that sort of stuff because they think that that stuff is going to sell. Wow. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Now, I want to talk about the tech advancements that were happening during this time. Um, how how did that make this shift in the music industry possible? Probably most people would say um, the CD, the comp- the compact disc. Um, okay. Uh, because um, first off, there we had two two points about that. One is that. Um, if you look at the history of college radio, which is, I think, a, a movement that that is kind of linked up to 1980s punk, where it's you know students trying to get on the resume, the fact that they were a DJ at at a at a record place in the hope in hopes of making it into the music industry. Um, and what a lot of what a lot of people who are marketing compact discs do when it comes to the college radio stations, the college radio stations would play what the students thought should be played, right? There was no real attempt to market at them. Um, But with the compact discs, one of the ways that the the music industry realizes that they can kind of poach upon college radio and in fact, ideally privatize it, so to speak, is uh, they'll they'll send out a notice to to the local to, to the college radio station. They'll say, you know, we've got this, uh, we've got these uh, CDs that that we'll give to you for free, and we've also got all the equipment that you'll need to play the CDs. And this is when CDs were still, you know, something new. Um, and so a lot of these college radio stations kind of fold and say, and get and are being told by the recording industry what they're going to play. Right. So it exerts more control over that. But and it does it with the kind of technological explanation as we, you know, CDs have better sound quality um, than than record albums do. And of course, there's some people who today would say that that's not true. I don't I'm I'm not I don't I can't settle that debate. But um, but I think that that's one way in which technology is being used in order to also, again, market and target market recordings. Do you think um, video recorder had something, you know, the the accessibility to the uh, of the video recorder had something to do with this interest in uh, the visual medium now, uh, music as a visual medium on television? I, I have only one word to say in response to what you just said, and that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling, too. Uh, <laughs> what else do you think was happening during the 80s, 1980s America, that you feel contributed to this mega shift in music? Well, I, one thing that that um, uh, I think adds to it is is uh, the the overemployment of the synth- synthesizer uh, in music. Again, another technological 
development that was was around already, but but became even more important um, uh, during the during the eighties. And you get this stuff that some people call synth pop. Um, that's bands like Duran Duran um, and 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 that sort of. British new wave sort of music, which a lot of people think would not have done as well if it hadn't been for MTV and for 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 uh, kind of excessive marketing. I would actually say it's it, one of the the kind of cultural symbols of the 1980s that people still think about is the rise of the yuppie, the young urban professional. Um, and if you go and look at a place like Danceteria, which was um, basically organized by a guy by the name of Jim Ferrat, who's a fascinating character I won't get into at this point. Um, but you you have basically, this is a dance cl club place. It's a place for yuppies to meet one another, you know, and perhaps as, a, as get sexually linked up or what have you. And he has entire rooms that are video screens, right? And the, what a lot of people, including um, the bass player in, in the band Sonic Youth, Kim Gordon points out, is there's this sort of like screen culture where you're like constantly distracted by one scene to another scene and stuff like that. And it, it, it lends itself to... Um, basically almost breaking you down in terms of like your ability to stay focused or what have you, because there's always another screen over there, another screen here. And this, and, and the, the venues in which this is happening again are, are, are dance clubs. Um, and so I think in many ways, uh, you know, MTV does terribly well because of a kind of rise of the yuppie um, and um, the kind of, uh, you know, person who would go to a dance to try to, pick someone up to be brutally honest about it. Well, I, I, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, during its its four, first years, many noticed that black artists weren't getting as much airtime on MTV uh, as other white artists. Um, and, and the founders were actually called out for not being inclusive of all artists. Um, then uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller <laughs> comes out and everything changes. Yep. Why is that? And how did the industry change, particularly for Black artists during this time? I think it's just the, the I mean, I, I can't I, the, I can't prove this, but I think it's the recognition of like, why would we shut people out from this? Why would we not, you know, include them? And I think incre increasingly um, people are saying, this is going to rake in the dough. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I don't think it's like a change in racist attitudes on, on the part of the music industry. I just think people are looking at the bottom line and saying, Michael Jackson's doing phenomenally well. Maybe we should do a little bit more of this. I mean, I think that that's what um, was hoped for, hoped for by some of 1980s punk kids was that, you know, like the Easy Rider movie um, about a kind of countercultural underground, um, you know, you 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 have the possibility of making a, a boatload of money, um, and 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 I think it's just the bottom line profit seeking element within the recording industry, um, and what makes Thriller I think so um, such a kind of breakthrough or I don't know what to call it. Um, uh, but is is because it's 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 long um, in terms of you know and it and it's incredibly obsessed with the graphics the visual arts as, as much as the music um, and as I recall there was I think it was on, in TV Guide that people were actually listing as a show like as a television show the playing of th of thrillers so I mean it means <laughs> that I think it, they know that this is reaching a mass audience there was also. Um, 
this is also the period of time in which there was a lot of product placement um, in things. And, and uh, the fact that uh, Michael Jackson's sponsored by Pepsi becomes this issue um, where the, sometimes you'll see, you know, people putting products kind of up front for the viewer to kind of pay attention to. This is especially true for like the movie E.T. by Steven Spielberg, um, where there's just a slew of product placement attempts um, throughout the make throughout the movie itself. But I mean, I think it, 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 in some ways, Thriller became that sort of almost like television event. Um, and 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 broken African American artist, albeit an African American artist who wasn't necessarily very comfortable being African American, or as we as we now know, um, other things about Michael Jackson that yes. uh, make it difficult to to say that he was a you know a wonderful genius or anything like that. Um, but but I think I, I just think that, you know, I mean, call me a reductionist. I think the record industry is looking for a way to make as many dollars as it can. And it shouldn't allow race and race differences to get in the way of that. We on our episode, we we talked about Reaganomics and, and we put it up on the board as if it could potentially have something to do with the uh music industry at the time and how it was shifting it's probably a stretch but do you think there's any connection there i do i do okay um i i and, and one of the things that i uh, discovered in in writing the the book that you mentioned um is there's this it's a very odd um sort of thing that that's overlooked and probably isn't super significant but it's it's um ronald reagan makes a, a makes an attack on what he calls kind of um uh, underground economy in the united states and by which he means like people who go and you know mow their neighbor's lawn and gets paid in cash so that it so that there's no record that the federal government can use to to try to poach a, a tax a place a tax on something um it's remarkable because you know ronald reagan was anti-tax i mean he wanted he wanted to lift any taxation on on the part of wealthy americans that was that was his prime i would say one of his primary goals um maybe alongside of you know getting armed for fighting world war three in the soviet union um but you know one of the things that i found so fascinating is i it was the first time for me to actually see this term the underground economy being used by someone like a ronald reagan but what it was basically saying was we've got a we've got to crack down on those tax evaders or people like you know um lawnmower people and and gardening people and and maybe plumbers you know where there's just no record and so therefore there's no taxation um uh, being articulated as a threat on the part of a president who is avidly anti-tax um that i think is kind of is is sort of tied into reaganomics it's hit the the small guy hard prevent people from creating and generating their own kind of businesses at the local level um, and instead be subjected to the same tax system that, you know, a big corporation um, is is most successful at getting. So I think there's a tie in if you if you think about Reaganomics as something where you there's the belief that you can slash taxes and yet also allow for the supply side to to come into play and um basically you would make re tax revenue off of the uh uh companies as their uh you know as companies corporations will get ahead of things and the small guy will always be kind of done in 
And I think that that's one reason why I think a lot of um, uh, kids who were involved in the 1980s punk scene were basically uh, successful at creating something of an underground economy. The magazines and the music, usually cassette tapes and things like that. Yeah. Okay, so we, we're, we're up to our final question. First off, do you think that video killed the radio star? No, I think I think it um, it promoted the radio star. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that MTV was just one more instrument at promoting and advertising music, to put it bluntly. I mean, it's more complex than that, but I think the bottom line, that's what's going on. So at the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing that, that you think is to blame, I guess in this version, we're not blaming videos for killing the radio star. We're actually thanking them for, are, are we thanking them for um, promoting the radio star or are we uh, regretting the loss of what could have been? <laughs> I personally think the latter. Okay. I think again, it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginnings, which is that MTV was, was, was basically an advertising mechanism to promote, to promote um, bands both visually and musically. What I think gets lost in that process is the fact that, again, the imagination on the part of a viewer slash listener starts to, I, I think, decline during the 1980s in large part because of MTV, right? So it's no longer people listening to um, a record in their own room and like thinking about, you know, maybe on drugs or what have you and thinking about what do they visualize or what have you that's filled in by MTV, right? So you, you're you're being shown what the producers want you to see. And so your last remnant of any sort of imaginative creative reception of this stuff um, becomes kind of wiped out. Um, and I think that that's, you know, the, the 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 creativity on the part of the artists who are who are trying to you know make songs that can be translated into videos um, is is really important. Um, but I think just in general, um, the 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 view of the viewers on the part of MTV is that we can fill in every aspect of a of the kind of reception of of a of a rock band or a new wave band or whatever genre you're dealing with. Um, so, uh, and I, I, that's. I think what I guess would go into the category of regret, regretfully um, uh, lost, as you as a yeah. you put it nicely. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for um, discussing this interesting topic that is is clearly not not cut and dry and and, and kind of a, a departure of our of our show. Oh, <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> Yes, we're we're exploring. You know, we're we're in the business of blaming. Don't get me wrong; we still got to blame a lot here. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm all for blame on this one. I mean, I mean, I grew up in the '80s, and I remember. Why should I have to listen to this horrible music? <laughs> Thank you, Kevin, so much. Thank you. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash the alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the Thanksgiving Day disaster. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.